Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Risking Failure. I'm your host, Mick Dunn, and on the other side of the planet, my good pal, Mark Dobson. Dobbo, how are you, mate? Dobbo? Hello, Dobbo? Hello? Dobbo? Oh, that's right. He's not with us this week. He is actually slammed with speaking engagements. It's the beginning of the school year, and he just couldn't put too much time aside this week, a pretty full schedule. And so fittingly, we decided to release a conversation that we both had back in the fall or the autumn or whatever you want to call it, at least in the US back sometime about October, we chatted about the subject of overwhelm. And I think everybody can relate to this conversation, this topic. And for us, it actually turned into a two-part discussion. So there's going to be two episodes, one to follow up from this one. Other updates this week, we have released and are beginning to update the Facebook page, so certainly join the clan right there, and obviously do so at riskingfailure.com, and here we go with the episode, counting down. Five, four, Four, three, three, two, two, one, one, cue in, (laughs) Mark. (laughs) How are you, Rick? We can't start these episodes laughing all the time. Well, if, you, you, if you're recording at your end, it would work. Like, I'm sitting here. I'm all ready to go. Oh, come on. It provides comic relief, I guess. But it's this countdown thing. We just uh, we don't quite have it down. <laughs> Let's tell the world. Okay, guys. So, when you're tuning into these episodes, what happens is Mick and I have got two separate recordings. And I know someone out there will say, oh, you can do it this way and that way. But the way we're doing it, I'm recording in Australia. He's recording in America. And we mix them together. But we've got to get them lined up, basically. And really, Chris, who edits these things, is a gun. He's doing a great job. But Mick's got this idea that we both need to count down. Five, four, three, two, one, and say one at the same time so there's a starting point. Now, we are incapable of doing it. And, of course, Dobbo's never been able to hold a beat. And I think that's the problem. You you go one, (laughs) two. I'm like, it's five, four, three, two, one. It's so straightforward. Oh, look, anyway, so <laughs> anyway, so that's where we come in, people. So how's the rest of your world, Mick, separate to this counting stuff? Are you doing all right? I am doing fabulous, and uh, I'm lucky that you were able to fit me into your schedule because it sounds like you're pretty busy right now. Well, that's where the topic came from because I emailed Mick during the week, everyone, and said, I think the topic for this week is juggling loads because I got smashed last week and just too much on. And I got to Friday and I was flat. Like I was really flat and sad. And I was like, this is not like me at all. I didn't know where it came from. And I continued through to Saturday. And on Saturday, I went down to the house we've got on the beach and we're, which we're renovating and thought we were making progress. And it was a scorching hot day. And the one bit of the, the place that's okay, there is somewhere to sleep that's not a mess. And the pool is okay. And then I got there. And the pool was like a swamp. It had so much stuff had fallen into it. It was phenomenal. Like it was extraordinary. And the pump was busted and I just had enough. It was this case of just feeling like nothing was going in the right direction. So I emailed Mick and said, Oh, juggling loads. That's the topic. Cause I'm not going to be the only one that has experienced this. This is like, this is like life. Q response. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've given us a good story as a lead-in, but, I mean, what did you conclude from that? So, this happened until, like, mid-afternoon Saturday or something like that? Like, you, you carried this into Saturday, right? Yeah, well, the what happened? What did I conclude? Well, a couple of things. I spent about an hour trying to fix the pool filter or the pool pump, mm-hmm. and I fixed it, and it was 
way out of my knowledge area, although I can turn my hand to things like that. But Did you feel like a freaking hero when you did it? I did, mate. You should have seen. <laughs> I was punching the air and I was like, woohoo, it works. I felt like someone who just turned on the pump and oil has started flying up in the air. They're like, yeah. I was like, yeah. And there's like water bubbles and all the dirt in the pool's just moving around. I can see it swirling. I'm punching the, you know, the air with my fist and I was like, I can do it. And it felt awesome. And then I was like, right, I'm going to get myself organized <laughs> and I went and started writing up lists and moving stuff around and I really just needed that one success. Yeah, put my like a boss t-shirt on and walk around. I was the man. I got the tool belt on, whacked it on. It was like one of those scenes of those 80s films where the dad suddenly come alive, you know, and he's got the he's finally worked out to run the household, you know, and he's got the kid wearing a bib and he's got his mobile phone on his hip and I was it being a total knob. But I'll tell you what was most fascinating, right, is that when you're overwhelmed, everybody else can tell you how to get out of it. And the truth is it's not like you don't bloody know, but it's kind of like when you're swimming and you're stuck in a rip or something, and it's unless you've been in one, maybe you can't relate, but it's it's dragging you somewhere. People go, no, you come into the shore, and you're like, oh, no kidding. Do you think? Like, of course I want to swim into the shore, but you're in a turbulent period where it's not a straightforward case of navigating out of it. And it's a little bit like when a car's in a spin. When your car's spinning, if you've had that experience, like a defensive driver course, or you've or you've been uh, you've actually lost control of your vehicle, it's difficult to know where you're meant to even drive the car to because you you've lost your bearings. And I what I think really happened for me that week is I lost my bearings and a big part of that was having so many meetings on, so much of my time allocated, I had no time to action anything. So I was always talking about stuff and it wasn't becoming a reality in a way that I sort of wanted it to be be real. In actual fact, none of it really mattered, but it really impacted my mood. That's what I concluded was that it was something that uh, I needed to, I was like being the spinning car. I needed to navigate my own way out of it, but it just annoys me when people say, well, Mark, you know what you could do? You know, you really need to set some priorities. You need to get them organized. You're like, oh, get stuffed as if you have that, don't have it happen. We all have it happen. So I thought the topic for today was how do you navigate your own way out of your overwhelm. How do you do that? And, and I, I do know how to do that generally. And uh, that doesn't mean you don't experience overwhelm. That fascinates me. So I want to discuss because you, you've probably had some, yeah, let's discuss it and put it on the table and people can have some ideas. When I'm thinking about your story, like I kind of feel like step one seems to be like actually realizing you're overwhelmed. I sort of agree. And I think probably most people would be the same. You Once you realize you're overwhelmed, you kind of know how to get out of it. Maybe that's a... An assumption, but getting to the point where you're actually saying, oh, oh, I'm overwhelmed is more the issue because it can go a while before you can figure that out, you know? You know what, though? If that is the case, if that is step one, I don't think our first instinct is then to, say, let go of the wheel or which in driving, if you let go of the wheel, the car will straighten itself. You know, in some religious circles, they say let go and get and let God, or I would just say let go and let the flow of life. So I think... The acknowledging it is step one, but I think we get in a such momentum of going, oh, God, I am overwhelmed. If I just nail this one thing and then we continue to work on something. And I don't think that's necessarily the way out because I think we can still choose the wrong thing to work on. That would have been my instinct, would have been to say you just need to focus on one thing and execute on it and then move on from that. Are you saying you don't feel that way? Yeah, I'm saying it's that's. I reckon we live in a world where we bust out cliches that actually don't work. Yeah, because like my brain is filled with cliches right now, right? Because when you were talking about the car spinning, I was thinking, well, I mean, I'm not an expert driver or anything, but what I have 
kind of picked up from learning and reading and hearing about what you're supposed to do is focus on where you want to be and drive there. And I've also heard take your foot off the accelerator and continue to look where you want to go. And I found particularly in driving in snow, it's a combination of the two. <laughs> Sometimes you actually need to like freaking floor it and like go for where you need to be because if you don't, there's no way you're going to get there. There seems like there's cliches tied up in all of that. Like, oh, you just got to focus on where you should be going and floor it or focus and slow down and focus on where you should be going, you know? And, you know, what we're talking about here, this metaphor is, um, and even when I said like let go and the car will straighten itself, the car will straighten itself. It doesn't mean there's point in the right direction. <laughs> just go straight. You're just peeing in a ditch going, I know where I am now. Yeah, so there's all different aspects of this, but I think we live in a world where we just bust out cliches and we don't even know if they really work. So if we take that one which says, all right, let's just choose one thing and get it done. If that was the case, we would have sat down and you would have helped me, right? Just say you were just some life coach or counselor or friend and you're like, all right, let's think this through, Mark. And you would have helped me think it through. And I would have said, yeah, we've got this, 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 and we would have chosen one. But on that list would not have been fixing the pool. And it was actually fixing the pool pump that got me out of the funk. Actually, if you had have explained your situation to me, that would have been probably my first thing. Like, if you're feeling so crap about looking at the pool, then let's fix that first. No, but see, what would have happened is I would have been overwhelmed and you would have said, hey, let's step back and think about this. And we would have talked about it more. And while we're talking about it more, we would have come up with a logical approach and we would have gone and taken an action somewhere and started to chip away with one. But in that time we could have been talking about it, I got something done. And then I was in the mood to actually organise the whole process. I needed to have a small victory before I was actually in a mood that would allow me to navigate the way out of the overwhelm. So, Dobbo, isn't that focus on one thing, execute on it, have a success, and then move on from there? Yeah, it is. But what got us to that point was that well, the pool was so bad. The pool was so bad that I was like, I have to do this one right now because I can't have something good have gone to crap. But meantime, everything else is going on in your life, right? I mean, it's more than just the pool and the house, surely, right? There's so, so much going on, Mick. It's just so hard. <laughs> I've got to do this presentation next week. and You don't still prepare for presentations, do you? Don't tell the world. <laughs> I do. I do. I've got one next week I'm definitely preparing for because it's a hard one. It's a good one, but it's a hard one. Did you literally just have so much you didn't get done during the week and then everything just sort of came to a head at the house? Yeah, it did come to the head at the house, but I already had space. I was just trying to recover. Like I, I was sad on the Friday and then I was trying to recover. And then something else bad happened. I thought I, I had stepped back on. This didn't work. I, but I didn't know at first that I was just juggling too much. I didn't even know why I was flat. But then later on, I realized, oh, look, look I think this comes down. We feel good when we create. I think we are naturally born to create. That means that we think of something and we go, I'm going to make it happen. We, you know, design your garden or you think of something you want to cook or a present you want to give or you even, you know, can create an idea or you create the local fate or fair for the, you know, for the local church or something or I think we enjoy creating and I think what had happened at the end of that week I didn't feel like I'd created anything but I hadn't recognized that I just felt you know the language I use I didn't get anything done you have those weeks where all you did was create more tasks that's right so that brings me to the next point right the way I generally navigate these things is that for me I am emotionally driven that is that I want to feel good in my life. And if I don't like doing something, 
I'm not going to do it because this is my life. When people hear that, they go, oh, right, so you're not going to take out the garbage. And I go, well, if we go back to the running example you used before, if you're running a marathon and you're in pain, does it feel better to stop or does it feel better to finish the marathon? So it's not that we don't feel discomfort and we don't apply ourselves and have hardship, but if it's not worth doing, if it doesn't feel good in my gut, in my heart, that this has purpose, I'm not going to spend time on it. And people go, oh, well, so you're just going to stop doing anything. And that's a, that's a crass and reckless use of the philosophy, right? But I really am feelings driven. I want to feel good. Then what I realized, or I realized I just observed myself using it in this situation is that I want to move towards whatever activity is going to have me feel good. And really fixing the pool it was going to feel good once it was done. And so I really realized that once I'm trying to navigate this crisis, it's always my emotion that I listen to first. I go, what would feel good to get done? And there's a lot of the tasks that I realized I had on my list that were really there. And if I thought, what's the emotion attached to it? It was guilt or it was uh, obligation or it was I should. And those are the ones that were actually causing me the grief because really that week I did make a lot of progress, but it, it wasn't in a classic Western way. It wasn't in a, oh, I've built a building. It was in the subtleties of, of personal growth and the allowing of unique projects to sort of mature and to evolve. So that was the first thing I did to get out of it. I was like, right, it was following the good emotion. I really believe that's always what we need to be doing. I heard an interview with Brene Brown, who is a shame and vulnerability expert. I can't remember offhand which interview, but... She was talking about the wholehearted, and that was her definition of people who are living wholeheartedly, and for them, their failure is on the line, but self-worth is not on the line. And so they can fail at a task, but that doesn't link to whether or not they're a good person or not. And there's something just interesting that she said, which was productivity being tied to self-worth, and that in the wholehearted people who she had studied that she had identified in that category of what she considered to be wholehearted were less likely to have productivity being tied to their self-worth. And a direct opposite to that was things like creativity being something that reinforced wholeheartedness. That's big, actually. Yeah, It, it kind of like ties into that emotion thing that you were just talking about with guilt you know, because you may have had a killer week. You may have done some stuff, talked to some people, whatever, planted seeds that could six weeks from now be massive. Oh, look, in my work, I'm blessed. You know, like we all take actions to get to a certain place, but, you know, I'm blessed. You're right. The reason that I was overwhelmed is I was always speaking at conferences. I was always consulting and it's very rewarding stuff. You're right. There was some great things that happened during that week. Actually, a couple of things that I look back and just go, wow, that's, Epic. It's a different path, a different way of it having it playing out, having, you know, your success play out. I'm assuming you were actually feeling pretty good about everything you were doing at every moment. It's not like you're actually in those meetings or those discussions or whatever going, I shouldn't be here. You're just like, you're there and it's what you feel you should be doing. But then when you depart and you, whatever, you return home, you get back to the office, you go, Oh my God, I haven't attended to all of these things that I'm supposed to have done. And everything you just did, it was, pointless it feels like a distraction it feels like you're living you're not living the life you're meant to be living you feel like you're, you're doing these things but really you want to be doing something else and 
one of the things that I'm always grappling with is the issue of attachment and awareness and ego. And, and attachment is the idea, the idea that a lot of our misery is a result of when we are attached to the way something should play out and or attached to anything. You know, our car gets scratched and we're like, oh, I'm embarrassed to show people my car or oh, I don't look any good today. I don't want to go out. And you're like, well, you know, you don't want to be attached to these things because then you have this misery. So we really want to be in a space where we, we realize that things don't actually matter. We are worthwhile. Just be. They don't matter. I realized, although in the whirlwind life, like really what was, if you dig back, really what was happening is that I was attached to thinking a week needed to play out a certain way for it to be successful. And a part of that was that I thought I owed people delivery on some certain things, which as time's gone on, they don't actually matter. And this is one of the big things that I've learned in my life is that when I've moved forward at a rapid pace, it has happened with phenomenal ease, like phenomenal ease. And when I've worked really hard or I try to made something, make something happen, it hasn't, it's been fatiguing and really the reward hasn't been proportional to the effort. And there's a guy I know in Sydney, or actually I don't know him well, but I, I did hang out with him a little bit. And he, he's writing a book, maybe he finished, and he was using the title, Better to be Lazy Than Tired. Meaning that he said when he's been lazy, he's had huge success. And when he's gotten tired, it's been expensive for him in some way and he hasn't got the outcome. In a week like last week, I was tired and I don't think my self-worth got it makes it seem like it's a disaster week, but it's just less than what I would usually enjoy, right? But but it, it's more representational of like if that's what it takes to create that emotion, then it starts to create that indication that there is, and that's I think rampant is like we all tie so much of that to self worth, and our emotions get tied to what we achieved in in a lot of ways. So I don't think my self-worth was attached to it. I think I was stable there, but my feelings, the emotion over the top of that was odd. This is actually a future thing, right? Somebody tomorrow that I've got scheduled to meet with. And it's funny because we connected on the phone this afternoon and it was sort of left on my end open-ended because I'm still questioning whether I really should be driving two hours to go have lunch with this person because it's a friend and I'm really looking forward to catching up. But I've had a week where today I was in a trade show all day. Yesterday I was in meetings all day. Like I've spent about a half a day in the office this week. I'm actually pretty caught up, but I feel guilty spending what will end up being three quarters of a day to go catch up with somebody, but I kind of see the value in it. So I'm just like, man. And I hung up on the phone after confirming the meeting. I was like, what I just did was created an out so that I can decide to switch. And admittedly, there is actually something I need to have an out for just in case. But I was like kind of wrestling around with this. Is it really appropriate for me to be just like taking three quarters of my day out when yesterday I was in a trade show all day? But I was like, well... Why not? What am I going to do tomorrow that's so significant that's worth putting something like that off for? It's like, well, if I just keep putting that off, then am I going to be more satisfied from doing a full day of work in the office? Yeah, this is a myth that we think that we need to work and we don't need to work. I really believe you've got to follow your joy, but sometimes we don't know where the joy is. Which one's more joy? Would I feel more joy from working? Or would I feel more joy from meeting a friend? And and we don't know. And that's what the experience I had last week was that there was so much going on. I didn't know where 
the joy was. I didn't know what thing to be involved in, what thing to be actioning. And I think that this is the topic of juggling loads. And this is the way to navigate it is that is developing our emotional maturity to be able to recognize what would feel good. How do we trust the flow of life? How do we not fight the flow by thinking I should do so-and-so? And and I think we always know we've fought the flow because we feel fatigued afterwards. Look at this from a different angle, right? Because I've been here as well. I'm, I'm fortunate right now, at least I, I own my own business and I'm in control of my time a little bit more. But, but that doesn't mean that I'm in control of my time because I stay up until midnight a lot of nights doing work so that I can go do something like meeting somebody for lunch. The work has to get done either way, right? The only difference is I get to select how I want to do it, whereas a lot of people don't. You have to show up at 8 or nine or whatever time you're supposed to be checking in and starting work. And in a lot of cases, you don't get to choose your workload. You're just given a workload or you've given responsibilities and there's nobody to pick up the slack. And that's part of running a business too. But if anything, even more so, what if when you're not really in control of that? What if when you've got three kids? (laughs) It's not your choice. At the same time, you're tying that self-worth potentially to whether or not you got the laundry and the dishes done today or not. Yeah, but see, okay, so that's an attachment issue, isn't it? So we need to do a uh, podcast on the issues of ego and attachment and awareness and how that all works because some people won't be up to speed with this stuff. But first off, your self-worth can never be determined by whether or not you've packed the dishwasher. But people do do that. They go, well, the house is a mess. I'm not a good person. You're like, are you serious? Are you serious? That is the measure of you as a person. Like we, we've really got to laugh sometimes at some of the stuff that we think defines us. It's nonsense. And that is definitely, they're all ego issues. And, and when we get attached to go, I'm only important because of this. I think it's bigger than that though. I mean, I really think that can be a, a sensitive issue, especially for mothers that are dealing with a stressful situation of having new kids and being looking at what was previously something they could do with their eyes closed and is no longer something they're able to get done, a very simple task. And I think it's really easy to like look at that and go, I wasn't even able to achieve that today. Yes, but the point is that where we're going wrong is that this is where people think I need to achieve something to be a good person or I need to achieve something to be being productive, to get life right. Now, I'm not saying that the emotions that person are experiencing aren't real and valid. They are. But it's crazy. Like when you say it's a sensitive topic because it would upset people, it would upset people, but upset them because what they're doing is they're they're investing their happiness in a place where it just will not grow. Like we need to upset those people. We need to say, you are not the cleanliness of your house. You are not the clothes you wear. You are not how much money your business did this year. This is messed up. And I was in a meeting recently with a guy that's negotiated billion-dollar deals, and he said, yeah, I haven't decided, you know, what I'll be next year. You know, I'm trying to work out, you know, am I, am I car? Am I this job? And I said, what? How, what do you mean are you this job? He's like, well, maybe if I let it go, well, who am I? I was like, you just are. You just are. You, you're not your job. And and I think we need to have tough conversations with people on this stuff, Mick, is, is to say, I'm accountable to this too. Like when I had a tough week last week, I ended up just laughing myself going, oh, you idiot. You obviously thought your life needed to play out a certain way and it didn't. And instead of surrendering and just going, oh, well, this is how it is. You kept on trying to make it happen. And you finally got happy when you fixed the damn pool. I am my success. You know, it's it's foolish. We want to participate in life. But I think the overwhelm comes when we're trying to have things look a certain way 
and they don't need to. They just don't need to. And, and most of the things we have on our to-do list get moved to the next day anyway and the next day and the next day. And really, they don't. They mustn't need to get done. They mustn't be important. And I really believe that the decision-making what's important is how do you experience the most amount of love that you possibly can? How do we do that? And if a mum is cleaning the house and she thinks it's important, that's fine, but she's seeking to feel love. That's what it's really about. And how can I do that? And then maybe we've been taught as kids that I love you more when you've got a clean room, honey. And so therefore I expect you to, you know, as an adult, I better clean the room. Otherwise my partner or my family won't love me. Like, I think what we're really trying to do is we're trying to feel love and we get confused and we think that we need to achieve something to do that, to be that. It's, it's, it's pretty messed up. And I'm accountable to these rules as well. That's why I laughed at myself last week going, you're an idiot, Mark. You are being a deal. It's fall here. So or autumn. So all the leaves are falling. For me, that's an overwhelming time because. Because <laughs> <laughs> a bloody driveway. You know, we've got an acre and a half or so of leaves <laughs> all on the ground. <laughs> And I just have a rake and a lawnmower, and it's every weekend. I get nothing done except raking leaves. All right. So, can, can I just pause you there, right? Yeah. I understand there's always different levels to look at this stuff. Like, there's a practical level where there's leaves everywhere, and it's annoying. But but you don't actually need to rake those up, do you? Yes. Why? I correct that. I don't have to, but if I don't, which is what I did one year, because I said, this is stupid. I'm not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> the snow came, two foot of snow on the ground, compacted everything down. Spring came, and we had mole tracks everywhere in the front lawn. The whole lawn was just, like, chewed up with moles. And it's more work to rake everything up when it's wet and compacted. So I don't want to go into the scientific component of it, but it's easier to rake leaves when they're light and crackly than it is when they're like four layers deep compressed together in like a sheet. So the answer is yes, I do have to rake them unless... No, you don't have to. You choose. I'm not trying to be anal going on like semantics, but but if we're going to be honest about this, if we're going to get to the truth, you choose to do it because otherwise you feel like life will be better because of this action. And you'll probably be loved by your wife more because there's not mole tracks everywhere. Is that plausible? Well, yeah, but I'm going to have to do it anyway, right? The grass is going to grow and I have to mow the lawn. I'm going to have like all these leaves everywhere. So it's easier to do it in the moment that they fall than to wait an entire season. So literally it's like, to me, there's no choice. It has to be done. Oh, can we go back? I can't accept this no choice for this discussion because what you're making important, and I'm not saying it's wrong, and I'm not trying to be, I know people here, they go, oh, being an art, you know, it can sound anal, but if we get to the truth, what you've decided is important is grass. That you want your grass to be a certain way in the summer and you think it's important to mow the lawn. And that's fine, Mick. I'm not judging that. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. But for this conversation, you've said that these things are important. Therefore, to get my grass as I want it in the summer so that my kids can enjoy it so that I can pull into a house that I think is attractive so that my family and neighbours like the house. Part of that process is that I need to. Yeah, I've leaped forward of that, the fact that I value that and that, like, that's a non-negotiable for me. Right, and now as soon as it becomes a non-negotiable, then it becomes a potential pain point too because that's the attachment. We get attached to it. And I'm not saying don't do it. Like, I'm not going all hippie, like, you know, don't shave your legs and all that kind of stuff. Like, people do that if you want, guys. But 
I think it's just important to realize that you've attached to that and that's fine. And there's things that I've attached to too in my life. If we come back to now, you go, right, it's fall and it's an overwhelming experience of doing the leaves. If you didn't value, if you didn't want your grass a certain way, then you wouldn't feel overwhelmed by the leaves right now. But that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> See, like I look at last week and the reason I felt overwhelmed was because I'm trying to build a couple of projects with other people. I don't want to let them down, but I want to build it for them because I think they're the relying on me. And I don't want to let them down. I don't want to be a person that didn't deliver. What I've realized is that, you know, I'm attached to that idea of delivering, but then that's foolish because really if I trust life to deliver, then it's not all in my hands. And really life has delivered this week with some phenomenal things that have gone my way. If we go back to that topic of juggling loads, I think that the juggling loads is when we've become attached to certain things, certain outcomes. We've even come attached to what our personal value is. We, we think, well, I'm valuable if I produce or I'm valuable if I have nice grass on my house or I'm valuable if I've delivered these projects to people I'm business with. And I know people go, well, we are. These things are important in life. Well, well, if they are important, then when you're moving towards them, then they should feel joyful. And if they're not feeling joyful, then we're investing our happiness in the wrong place. So, and this is all the stuff I was navigating last week in my 17 hours of sadness. This is all the stuff I was aware of. <laughs> We've really like drilled into this 17 hours, haven't we? So I wonder what people are going to think of this one. There's a book title in there, Dom, I think, The 17 Hours of Sadness. Actually, now, another one. So this week, as it continued out, I uh, was um, working in like a local cafe writing as I normally do, and I was really immersed in this thing, right? really immersed in this piece of text. And I looked up and I saw this girl on the other side of the bar. Well, it was not a bar, was it? Like she looked like she's at a bar because she had a glass of wine in the middle of the day and reading the paper. And I knew her through someone else. And I go, oh, my God, I can so relate to that life. Because when you're in a cafe, there's other people doing business. And especially in Australia, everyone does business in cafes. And I was like, oh, my God, I can so relate to that person's life. And I'd met her another time. So I went across and just said hello. I just got up and I didn't even know what happened. I just must have finished the paragraph and said, oh, I went across and said, oh, my God, I can so relate to someone having a glass of wine in the middle of the day when the rest of the world is working their ass off. And it turns out she was stressed out of her head and stuff and she was just winding down and taking a breather. I probably talked for about 30 minutes and it was in that 30 minutes I realized that about 30 minutes earlier, I had my head so far up my butt in my work that I was not enjoying life. Even though I was, I really thought I was doing something important, I thought I was nailing this piece of text it was only once I stepped back and really just laughed and totally removed myself from it that I could see the light. And I think one of the things I explain to kids when they're feeling overwhelmed at school, I said, part of that is that you've got your head too far in your books. It's like a little mouse trying to find their way through the grass. The grass is really overwhelming. The, the eagle flying so high isn't overwhelmed by the grass because they can see the big picture until you go, you fly too high and then you can see the whole planet and you go, well, how I can't see the mice that I'm trying to eat because it's too far. I'll never find them in there. So there's this sense of what's a realistic level to observe something. It was just interesting. I'd observe myself even the following week. This week I feel way better because just because I actually went and had that conversation it was less about what we said in the conversation, more about me going, oh my God, the contrast between, between what I thought was a relaxed state and what actually was a relaxed state. We probably should move this into something tangible so that people can actually apply this stuff. What do you think people are going to think of this one? I reckon this is a bit different to some of the other ones. I don't know that I'm your man to figure out how to make it into something tangible. I, I must admit, I, I don't think I can move beyond the focus on one task, get it completed, and move on to what else 
you know, like it just, that's how I do it. So I, I just sort of feel like that's how the rest of the world does it when they really focus on it. But for me, it's just seek the, the good emotion. And what I realized last week, I was just, I was thinking if I get something done, I'll feel better. And although it did play out like that in a way, I got something completely irrelevant done. What I really need to do was just to feel good, look to enjoy what I had. Like I had a holiday out of the pool and I'm not happy. It's stupid. And I had all these friends and projects. It was, I was looking at the work, not the joy. For me, for the juggling loads, there's a couple of things that are really big for me. One is half the projects or half the balloons you got in the air, half the, half the things you're trying to get deliver don't actually matter. Only one or two really need to matter. They'll unfold. You'll know when it's time to work on it. And if you feel like you should work on them, that, that means don't. It's not time yet. Do you feel like there's a clear line that separates your work from your play? No, it's just life. I do separate them, but... I sort of think that may differ in the way that you're looking at this. Because I think it's pretty common to have, especially if you're working a job, like, be nice to just go do what you want that makes you feel the way you want to feel. But what do you do about the fact that you don't have that luxury, that you still have to get up and go to do your Saturday shift in a job that you hate? See, now, I just think that that's just a foolish way to live. The reason I say that is that you have a lot of choice. People go, I don't have choices, like you before with the leaves. You know, I don't have a choice. I have to do it. I'm like, well, hang on a second. You don't have to. So just just be clear. So with that person who goes to work, I think the first thing is there's two issues there. There's one this person says we say has to go to work, and the second one is and they hate it. So there's two sort of issues. Some people hate it. Some people just have to go. If you have to go, the reason that people don't enjoy their job or feel like they have to go is because they're disengaged from why they go. The reason people go to work is not to pay bills. They do it because they have a certain lifestyle that they like to live, and the job fulfills that lifestyle. Either they want to be able to pay for their kids to experience things, they want to buy their partners beautiful things, they want to experience certain holidays. It has a purpose. And for example, when people drive their kids around, they go, oh, I'm a taxi driver. I go, no, you're being mum or you're being dad. You're not a taxi driver. You are leading a family right now. I think the first thing when people go to work is that you've got to become aware. See, the ego is small. The ego thinks small. You go, oh, I've just got to go to the salt mines. Well, Firstly, I think, no, you've got to go, I'm going here because this will liberate my life. This will serve the people around me. I get to earn money to contribute. And sometimes in my job, when I'm at my job, I actually get to make people's lives better. I, I work in a team. Like there's some, there's some really quality things that are going on there if you acknowledge them because otherwise you wouldn't do it. And if you hate your job, you are a dill. Your life is so short. You need to be brave enough to risk failure, Mick, and go, I don't enjoy this. Why am I doing this? People go, well, I don't know what else to do. And yep, you can have all these little conversations in your head, but you need to go, right, well, how do I answer all those questions? And how do I move towards something that feels good in my gut? Because that's the only time you're going to make progress. And it's the only time you're not going to be tired because you come home from work exhausted if you hate it. I think it's just lacks courage. And I don't mean to offend people. I do mean to challenge them. I guess you said something about like moving towards what you want and I guess it could be read into, you know, when you said, oh, you just stop doing that job. I don't think that's the point. It's more stop doing it for that reason and identify that you want to move on and begin to make that decision so that the job is now to move on, not to stay there, right? Yeah. Like, stop talking about it and take an action. Like, 
it's phenomenal to me how many people will whine about something they're unhappy with to all the people that can't do anything to help that situation. So people come and they'll tell you all about all the crap that's going on with their partner and you go, so you talk to your partner about this. Oh, no, I couldn't talk to him about it. I'm like, that's so unhealthy to talk to people who can't contribute to that. Oh, I hate my job. Have you spoken to your boss about enjoying a job? Oh, I couldn't. You know, no, nah, I'd never listen. I'm like, well, if you hopped online to look for some new work, have you redone your resume? Nah, nah, nah. And then they want to continue venting about it. Like that just blows my mind. And I'm passionate about it. You can hear, like, okay, this is a stupid way to live. And it's going to make you miserable. And I want, I really passionate about people being happy. And to be happy, you're going to have to be courageous, but you're going to have to be smart and not talk about it, but do something like it. Thought, word, action. We talked about this before. Think it. I need to go to the bathroom. You tell someone, where are the toilets? And then you go for a piss. It's that straightforward. So you think it, you say it, and then you take an action. And it's got to move to action. I agree that the people, they do need to connect to why they're doing it. Well, And part of that might be, well, the new job is to find a new job. Um, but you take your attitude with you. <laughs> so you may have to look at that as well. <laughs> well, that's a whole nother episode. Ah, oh, it is. So... Look, so to close off this topic on juggling loads, though, like for me, the way I navigate my life is I, I follow my good feelings. And last week, I couldn't find them. I got lost in obligations. And the truth is, it would have been good to have stepped out a little earlier and probably just meditated and taken a chill pill. But I couldn't possibly. I was far too busy. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I soldiered on until I got miserable. Oh, that's great. Well, I don't think there's supposed to be a solution to this. I think if we were trying to try to wrap it up and conclude it to some kind of formula, it would be kind of stupid, really. But that would be tying productivity to self-worth, wouldn't it? It would be. So it doesn't matter. Hey, I've got something else interesting, too. This is sort of to tie up and uh, move to the next episode. I showed somebody our first podcast, and this is before it's released, everyone, so we, we, we recorded a few just to get a head start, and I showed them. They were like, well, you, you don't actually want any feedback, you said. And I was like, no, in that episode. And I said, no, we do we do want feedback. She goes, you outright said you didn't want feedback, Mark. And I was like, I know, but what I meant was I, if I'm more accurate, I said, I didn't want people to disagree with my worldview. Is <laughs> 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 really what I didn't want, but I did want some ideas on how to make it better. Like, I want to know, how did it impact you? How did it impact you? I want to know that. She's like, nah, you said you didn't want to know. And in the end, she said, all right, I'll tell you. She goes, God, you guys cover a lot of topics. She goes, there's just so much in there. I had to listen to it three or four times. So, to clarify, Mick, we're open to ideas. We just don't want to be told we're wrong. So, for the listening audience out there, if you've got ideas about how we can make it better, that'd be great. But just don't tell me or Mick that we're wrong because it'll hurt our feelings because my esteem is attached to my brain. Anyway, that's it. So, I'm not sure what topic is next week. People can email in if you've got some good ones you want us to hit and uh, we'll be doing some guest stuff later. But in the short term, it's just uh, Mick and me. You're stuck with us. So, uh, anything else to, con- to add before we finish up, Mick? I think that's it. You've summed it up beautifully. Uh, well, I thought you were really good today. I thought in the opening you actually spoke where um, <laughs> one of the earlier episodes you had this long silence. I did have to say to you, you know, cue response once, but but I know I was throwing you big stuff. Well, that was on the 
we started and we had to restart again because of a recording issue. So that was in the cancel one. So in my defense, I have shown up and responded <laughs> to your every need today, Dopo. At least I hope so. Uh, well, we've both got to go. I've got so much on. And really, I, honestly, I'm just too busy to talk to you right now. I've got to go. I, I just I've got to well, go. Well, at least go call a pool maintenance company or something. <laughs> but, Mick, that's the whole issue. That's why I was so annoyed is because I hire a pool company and they come in once a month and it would have been spotless. And I was like, how did this happen? I put all these things in place. This shouldn't happen. And he showed me how to use a pool pump and I went across there. And it wasn't working and I did everything he said. I was like, this is ridiculous. And then I had my arm down the thing, cleaning it out. And I was just covered in crap and I was, hadn't even got changed my old clothes. I was like, I've had enough of this. And then I stopped and I sat and I stared at the pump and I seriously hunted this thing down. And I was like, I will beat you. And I was looking at the pipes. I was staring at them. I'm going, all right, the water must run through there. It must go into there. That's a, how does the suction happen? Where does that come from? And I worked it out. I worked it out. And I had to get a bucket of water and pour it into the right area so the suction was increased. And then the suction could flow through. I got, and it, it, bang, it worked. Victory! Good work, MacGyver. <laughs> I'll catch you next week, Mick. Thank you, mate. <laughs> See you, mate. You've been listening to Risking Failure. To join the community and access more free content, news, and updates, subscribe at riskingfailure.com.